When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for listening to Knocking Doors Down, brought to you by KDD Media Company. And then Harrison Ford was in that bar as well, which I was like, <gasps> because there were other actors who were more namey who didn't want to be in that room. But he's like, whatever. <laughs> and I, the story I always have is, um, I remember making eye contact and like nodding because I think he was very friendly to the people he was having interaction with and knew that they were principals rather than, you know, and not that he makes that distinction. I also didn't want to be someone who was like, oh my God, I love you so much. This is Knocking Doors Down. Jason Lachance, your host here with you. Background of addiction, also uh, some childhood trauma, some uh, divorce in there as well. And, uh, you know, taking all that adversity, turning it into an advantage. My co-host, Mike Naraki, who's uh, had some substance abuse issues, no different. Hi, everyone. And our guest, Stephanie Chikowski. She is- What is the last name? Chikowski. 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 Stephanie Chikowski. She is an actress, and uh, you might, if you recognize her name, she stars as Hammerhead in DC's Doom Patrol. She's also had some other really cool roles, such as Shameless, which we talked talked to her about that as well. But uh, her story is definitely riveting, finding out that cancer runs on her mom's side of the family and- um, she not ha- had not only one, not two, but three different areas in her body that cancer were showing up all at one time. And interestingly enough, losing her hair played into one of her most successful TV roles mm-hmm. to date. So it's pretty interesting how she took that, spun it on its end. She's a total blast, and uh, we have such a great time talking to her, so you're really going to enjoy it. But before we get to it, got to thank our sponsor, 5150LTM. That's 5150LTM.com. You can also click the link in the podcast description and find out more about them. We got, to, of course, they doing big sales as we head into the holiday season. And uh, if you look at all the social media that we post and you see Mikey and myself, we're always sporting some 5150 gear, and we couldn't do it without them. So if you can go support them, there's something you dig there pick it up because it helps keep this podcast going all right mike let's jump into stephanie chikowski let's do it stephanie chikowski how are you doing i am good i'm very good today you're looking great thank you yeah i'm digging the hair because most of the photos that i've seen and you were nice enough to send us an autograph photo for our celeb wall here of uh interviews and of course it was you, I'm assuming the look from uh, from Hammerhead because you're uh, the character you're going to play in Doom Patrol season two because you're bald in that one. I know, I know. Well, it's it's totally. I have to say, I was bald going into uh, quarantine, and I was like, this is amazing. I should just keep shaving my head. But at the <laughs> same time, I was like, well, let's just see what happens. So, <laughs> so I decided to let it grow back. We'll see what happens for season three. I'm about eighty nine percent sure I'm going back, so I'm thinking I'm going to have to shave again, but for my agents and stuff i let it grow back to be like all right well at some point it's gonna go back and i'm not always gonna be on doom patrol i mean unless i'm really lucky so i figured i'd get some in-between shots <laughs> i did the same thing when quarantine started i just buzzed all my hair off i'm like whatever i'm not going anywhere no one to impress i don't know how to do my hair just take it all off it's so good like yeah. it's once you do once you do it like i mean once it happened well i mean 
I walked into like I kind of had a choice. I was falling out anyway. Right. Um, but once I did it, I was like, "Why haven't I not done this before?" <laughs> but you have a nice head, though. The picture you sent—you have a nice. I have a weirdly odd-shaped, <laughs> lumpy head, so I don't wear it well. So I just wear hats all the time now. I shaved it, and I'm just like, "Ah, oh, shit! I probably yeah. shouldn't have done that." Yeah, but. no, I did. I did luck out. I did luck. Out. I was like, "Thank you, mom and dad." <laughs> oh my god! Because I mean. I mean, I had no, you know, that's just genetics giving me a good, giving, giving, giving me a decent, not a decently shaped noggin. Right, <laughs> right. Mine's got a whole bunch of things going on. So I called my parents with a hate message. Like, what the hell's your guys' problem? Did you not think about this? You dropped me the hell of the time. Selfish. Right. When you procreate, you couldn't have given me a nicely shaped head. Oh, shoot. Well, of course, you were saying it was kind of, um, you know, what was going on with life. You know, we filled people in prior to jumping into the interview that, uh, you know, can't cancer survivor. Um, so, I, you know, how long have you been in remission and, and really when did you, you find out? I'm like, I've been with triple dog. Um, I found out in, I found out accidentally, which is crazy. Um, oh. I am a technically triple cancer survivor. I've oh, been wow. in, oh my I God. guess, remission, like technically remission or cancer free for, got to go uh, for about almost two years. Okay. Because it, 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 the, the timeline moves a little bit just because it was a weird, it was a weird 20, it started in 2018 and I found through a routine um, checkup for something else. I had like a CAT scan and I found, they found a tumor on my thyroid and I found out I had thyroid cancer. Oh my goodness. And then I was going to go have my thyroid removed, which is, they call it like an easy cancer. They just cut it out and it's done. And, you know, it's not yeah. that big a deal. And a week before I went in, the Saturday before the Thursday of my surgery, like four days before, I found a lump in my breast. Hmm. And then like just after that, after my, when I went for my follow-up from my thyroid, found out I had breast cancer. And then that started the breast cancer thing. And then my doctors, thank God, were very proactive and were like, you know what? You got two. Let's just make sure, you know, you're not just a cancer train. And they found a very small tumor in my kidney. Jeez. So then once all my breast cancer stuff was done, I went in and had a, a kidney resection. So, you know, like, so it was just like one thing on top of another, on top of another. So my timeline moves just from the standpoint that, you know, it's, I, you know, I discovered breast cancer on July 12th of, you know, 2018. But then I discovered this cancer a little bit later, so I'm kind of like riding that that whole thing a little bit. Wow. So how did you know Which to get- It like sounds like a dump truck of awful, right? <laughs> how did you know to get like the thyroid when you were getting that check like, and then they found it? How did, what were you there for originally? So I was, um, I was there because I'm, a, um, I'm an actress, but I'm also a fitness instructor and I was having like numbness in my fingertips. Uh -huh. It was like really like, and I was like, is, do I have a, do I have a nerve? That's like, is there something sure. going wrong? I don't know. Like, cause my fingers, it could be cause I'm texting too much. I don't know. So <laughs> I just started feeling like numbness in my, uh, my ring finger and my pinky finger ongoing at certain points in time. And I was like, and we had happened to, you know, we went through that thing where we like were back on good union like i had my union health insurance and i was like i should go while i have the good stuff mm -hmm. and um i ended up getting referred to a neurologist and he's like well let's just do a cat scan to make sure you don't have any cervical vertebra that are pushing on a nerve mm -hmm. and we went to do that and it was when they did that that they they because of the imaging just for my cervical spine saw my uh thyroid and saw a little tiny uh tumor on it 
Oh wow! Yeah, my so, mom. My mom's a thyroid cancer survivor, so you know, had it taken yeah. out. Did you have? Did you have to go that route, or were you with your treatments? Were you able to do kind of the, the chemotherapy approach? And well, with with the thyroid, I mean, the thyroid. It was like I went to see someone, and she was like, "Oh, it's little. All your numbers are coming back normal." And there's a big argument in the thyroid cancer community that because this is happening a lot, like if you do research, like it's kind of like prostate cancer for men, honestly, like they're finding that like people in general eventually get thyroid cancer, like in cadavers and stuff. But now because imaging is so good, if you're doing other things, a lot of times they're finding it really, really early. And it's not necessarily going to grow and be something bigger. It's just starting to grow and you can keep an eye on it. Mm -hmm. In my case, you know, and that's what, when I went to the doctor, uh, that's what I heard. Uh, rule number one, if something big's going on, always take someone with you. <laughs> but like, I went to see her and she was like, well, they might be able to take out half of it or we could just like, you know, put you on thyroid medication. I'm sure it'll be fun. Like, that's what I heard. And then I went back because I had a referral. I like put it away and was like, oh, I got to do all this other stuff because I'd had a very, very rough 2017 just personally because I had lost people and things had gone on. And I went back because I was like, oh, my, my referral's running out. And I went to see the surgeon who was like, oh yeah, so you know, you've got thyroid cancer and it spread to your, like one of your lymph nodes. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? And she was like, oh yeah, it's, you know, you have, and I was like, well, wait, no, no, they didn't. And she was like, so we should just take it out. And I was like, and I literally even there was like, no, let's not. And <laughs> my husband's standing there and she's looking at me like I'm insane. And I said, well, if it's there, you know, to be sure, because I had called it like a baby can't like it was it was growing, but it wasn't huge or anything. I mean, sure. I guess it had been. So they did a biopsy of the lymph node in the office um, just because I was like, you're going to cut it. Like for me, it was a big thing because they were going to cut open my throat. Like, you know, to get your thyroid, they're slitting your throat. Yeah, it's like, yeah. like it's right. Very yeah. big, it's a very big and very kind of, you know, graphic and harsh surgery in its mm -hmm. own right yes it is you know i i'm an actress and i use my voice and i sing just for fun but like you know all of those things are reliant on you know you're not accidentally cutting my vocal cord which wasn't going to happen necessarily but <laughs> there's always a chance right yeah it's a big concern especially when it comes yeah. to your livelihood yeah so um yeah so it, it and then it was and then it was right after that that i you know, once once it came, I basically had said, okay, if it's spread to my lymph node, like if it comes back positive, then we're cutting it out. But if we can wait and see for a while, I might just want to do that. And it came back positive, so it was just like, and it's going, you know. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So. So you were. How did you deal with with all three of those? You know, not necessarily at one time, but kind of one after the other. It sounds like. And it would take a huge toll, not on, you know, not only the acting career, but, the, you know, the fitness training that you're doing for a living, too. Yeah. What was crazy about it, I think, is, you know, I I had the, you know, thyroid. I, the thyroid came out and, you know, and I found and when I found that the lump, I was like, oh, God. And I called my husband and, you know, I was it's it's like one of those stories that you start to tell me. I was putting myself on tape for an audition and i was like wearing like a bustier like a 17th century bustier and i was like propping up my boob and i was like uh-oh and i was like honey come here and he's like what and he's like and i'm like no feel my back he's like okay and i'm like no 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 if you're not getting action i need you to feel this 
Um, I think part of it is, is when, at least for me, like in that moment, you know, you, I just, you just know something is wrong. Like you just know something is wrong. And we were kind of in that place and we're of the same mind that, okay, well, you know, we have the insurance, let's go get it. Like, let's just take care. Like, let's go take care of it. Um, I am someone because I did, as, as you mentioned, you know, we had talked about earlier, I lost my mom to a very rare cancer. And watching someone else go through cancer is horrible because you can't do anything. Um, and my role in that was being the person who knew everything about, like be, I became the weird scientist girl who would go to the doctor with her and ask questions. And he was like, what do you do? And I was like, <laughs> I'm a bartender. And he was just like, oh, I don't get it. And it was just, I was reading, I was going through and I was reading, you know, test, testimony or, you know, testimonials and groups and, you know, things that they were doing to have a grasp on what this disease was, you know, thankfully in a lot of ways, you know, breast cancer, one in one out of every eight women get breast cancer. And there's a sliding scale as to once you get into it, like the minutia of it, you get into the sliding scale of all of these little things that make it not, I, it, it, it by no means is ever like worse or it's, but they've, you know, there are certain ones that they've found cures for, or, you know, th your life expectancy is better because they found, you know, poison that they can dive bomb it with. So right. for me, as it started coming on one after the other, it was just kind of really being in the moment because you can't live past it. You can only do what you can do. And what was crazy to counterbalance this, this, this swath of awful stuff is I had the best year of acting probably professionally throughout these three cancers. Like I booked more jobs, higher end gigs while I was going through treatment. That's what it's and I was just like, okay, maybe the universe does balance. I was going to say, so that probably helped your mental health out yeah. a little bit because I can't imagine going through one after another three times in a row and the toll that would have taken on somebody who's not getting acting gigs, you know, to kind of help yeah. boost them a little bit, you know, I, yeah. but. Well, I think, I mean, what I did is, I mean, I was, I, after my first surgery, uh, like my double mastectomy before I went into chemo, I kept mm -hmm. teaching. Like my bosses were insanely good. And, you know, and my doctor was like, look, because they always tell you that chemo, I mean, it, it lowers your immunity, it, it lowers your immunity. Yeah. But at the same time, like we think of chemo as being like, you're on chemo and you're like the walking dead, like you're the walking dead, you're puking all the time. And that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm, sure. Like, I mean, in my, in my experience and in other people who I have befriended through going through it, you know, it was, it was like having a really bad hangover. It was like having a really bad hangover mm -hmm. and different kinds kinds of hangovers but i i it that is for for some of it and then some of it and it changed it you know metamorphosized a little bit but i used to work at a bar in new york city called the village idiot that was very much like coyote <laughs> ugly like dance on the bar drink shots blah 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 and i had some wicked hangovers in my life. <laughs> i was gonna say what you kind know, of hangover were we talking up, yeah. and have to go to work or whatever and I just remember being like, I never thought that would prepare me for this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a wine hangover, a whiskey hangover, tequila hangover, because yeah. they're all different. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah I know. And that combination the thereof. Like, and here's the thing, is each time, like, each time I, I, 
when it's, you know, when I went in for the double vasectomy or, and I was going to go in for chemo, I didn't know if I would be able to audition anymore. Like mm-hmm. I just didn't, I didn't know. And prior to going in for that surgery, I booked the Harrison Ford movie. Oh, like it was, I found out a week before I was going in for surgery, I booked the Harrison Ford movie and I was like, Oh God, when are we shooting? Because, you know, I have this, I have this little, this mini stunt where I, I'm um, the postmaster and I, I catch a mailbag and I fall on the ground and I wanted to be recovered enough to be able to do that mini stunt. Sure. And it turned out, and it turned out that I was shooting. It was eight weeks after my surgery. It was, it was the week I was supposed to go back to the gym. Mm-hmm. I was shooting this film. Um, so it was one of those, you know, it was one of those things that Sorry, I, I couldn't hear what you said. <laughs> I have to watch. I mean, it um, did sound like you said Siri. <laughs> but it was one of those things that, you know, I waited to start chemo, like I wrapped and then I started chemo because I technically I had like a little bit of a window and my doctor's like, well, you could start it, you know, right in the middle. And I'm like, I'm not starting this in the middle of the biggest film I've ever been on. He's like, okay. So you wrapped it. And then, but I didn't know how it was going to affect me. And so I told my bosses and I was like, look, I'm going to go based on how I feel. And if I feel awful, I'm not going to come to work, but I'll keep everybody in the loop. But it was, yeah, it was, it was, and so the other thing I did after, you know, the, after the first surgery is I, or during the surgery, cause I just felt like, well, if I'm not going to be able to be creative and I'm not going to be able to act, or I'm not, my husband and I started blogging about like, we took, kept an online diary of what it was happening and what we were going through and not necessarily emotionally, sometimes emotionally, but also just the, we went looking for something that would give us a little bit of guidance in terms of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Sure. And there are, you know, message boards and stuff. You can find stuff. And I, but nothing was very directive. And so I just felt like, well, if I write this down, A, it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of for me just to be able to create something and hopefully help someone along the way, but also to remember what I went through because, you know, without it, looking back, I'm like, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I'm sorry, the, the roundabout way is that there is one when I started going through where I literally break down how how the how my chemo felt like what kind of hangover. It was it was a lot of margarita. I think it tended to be a tequila hangover. <laughs> but again, Ooh, okay. tequila hangover for me is like it's different for everybody. Everybody's, you know, body chemistry is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got to ask, so when you were acting and you're doing these film, sorry, ugh, I just totally yeah. had a mind blank. So when you're yeah. acting and all this stuff's going on with, you know, the cancer and whatnot, did that affect your acting in any way? Like, was it on the back of your mind to where you're not fully 100% present or were you able to block that out completely and do what you needed to do? It's a godsend because you're just like, I just need to focus on this. Yeah. Yeah. I just like you, it allows you for a moment to feel a little normal sure, and to just focus on, okay, I'm doing this one thing. That's really more props to you. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, which is acting in general, but this is, you know, this was also one of those things that, you know, I, I'm somebody who's worked a lot in my life. Like I'm always working in. And so to a degree I was like, Oh, Every time I every time I work, I'm always like, oh God, I'm so blessed to this is the only thing I have to do today. Right. And a lot of times I feel like, you know, you know, people are trying to make it either people are running around like bartending or whatever, trying to do what they and then trying to do this one thing they love. And 
when you get that opportunity to just stop and be there, mm -hmm. um, at least for me, and specifically at this point in time and on this film, I was like, I just felt, I mean, not because it's over a hashtag blast. I felt so blessed. <laughs> I felt so lucky. And I, and I just remember being like, well, if I don't work for another year, that's okay. Like if I don't work anymore this entire year because of, you know, my health, I have this thing. I have this thing to hold on to, to be like, it'll happen again, but wow, what a way to go out. Yeah. And then I, by no means did I go out. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, thankfully not. Of course, the movie we're talking about, this was during uh, the filming of The Call of the Wild, yes? Yes, it was. Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, of course, with Harrison Ford. Did you get a, hey, Stephanie, nice to meet you, kid? Oh, my God. He is the coolest cat in the face of the planet. Oh, he my God. He seems like he, he would be cool. He was so, he was so, he's so gracious. And he's so, I mean, my scene is, I am in a scene with him, but not, I do not act with him. Right. And, you know, they built this, if you've seen the film or people have seen the film, they built in Santa Clarita up in, you know, like 30 miles away in California. I don't like the Disney ranch. They built this 18th century Yukon, like fake snow, the whole nine. And, you know, you had all of these extras and me and, and, you know, usually when you're on set, they have like, sometimes, I mean, you'll have your trailer, but when you're on set, they have like holding and everybody gets kind of portioned out. And because it was, you know, what's called a practical set, they had built a real bar. Our holding was in the bar. And it was me and two of the other kind of leads. I mean, the dogs lead the film, but two of the pe people who play some of the like lead roles. Um, and then Harrison Ford was in that bar as well, which I was like, <gasps> because there were other actors who were, more namey who didn't want to be in that room but he's like whatever <laughs> and I, the story i always have is um i remember making eye contact like nodding because i think he was very friendly to the people he was having interaction with and knew that they were principals rather than again and not that he makes that distinction i also didn't want to be someone who was like oh my god i love you so much <laughs> um but i remember like because it was all digitized you had to go and get all your you get pictures taken because they'll like do digital stuff or whatever and you go to this trailer and there's all these cameras they came back and we were on a break or he was on a break he'd come back from crafty and he had a packing blanket on the ground and his hat that he was wearing and he was laying on the ground just like taking a nap on the floor in the middle of this bar and i was just like or this thick bar and i was like you were the coolest man ever. you're just so cool yeah but well yeah. you know it's funny how some people they kind of can go back to their roots and just remain humble and just kind of stay that person and other people it it changes and um speaking of roots let's talk about stephanie and the the little girl kind of how acting came about in childhood and you know of course we talked about your mom passing from a rare form of cancer so what were you like as a kiddo um reportedly and i think this is pretty true um uh, at three years old, I sat in a, at a two years old, I sat in a window and sang to my, uh, my cousin's birthday party in Chicago. Huh. No, um, I pretty much, and then later, later I wanted to be a, um, I remember in, this is such a weird thing in kindergarten. Um, they had reruns. I lived, I lived in, I grew up in Southern Wisconsin and in kindergarten, they had reruns of the Brady Bunch on after school. Um, because in Wisconsin, we're a little behind in a lot of things, um, <laughs> sometimes. And 
I so wanted to be on the Brady Bunch that I made my mother write a letter to Channel 12, the the the, the channel ABC Channel 12 that was running the syndication or running the reruns to ask them how I could be on the Brady Bunch. And they were like, well, that hasn't been on in like decades. But um, so it kind of started there. And then, you know, it's it's it was there. And then, you know, I became one of those kids who, you know, like many girls I know who saw Greece and wanted to be Olivia Newton-John, like sure. wanted to be in Greece. And so it kept going on from there. I, you know, started writing little plays and then we moved to the suburbs of Chicago and I was in, you know, little community theater and theater in high school. And then eventually I basically just, cause I didn't know how to become an actor because my family is not from that at all. Um, I ended up, my aunt had a friend who, whose daughter was an actor in Chicago. And I asked them, you know, if I, supposed to become an actor what I do and they were like well go to college and go to like go to NYU Northwestern or Yale and I was like okay little did I know what they were talking about is the grad schools but I ended up going to and I ended up going to Tisch I ended up going to NYU nice so yeah and was it immediately into theater there did you do a lot of the acting in high school too you know normal plays yeah I did every uh, single musicals yeah every school every play every musical I think there's one play I didn't do I got very upset that I was not in that play I did excellent publicity for it, though. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was in every, yeah, pretty much every play and every musical throughout. And I was in a suburb of Chicago that was pretty, um, pretty well, much wealthier than um, than my my this the city I grew up in. And so we, it was I had gone from the, the small Catholic school to where I had like twelve people and twenty twelve to twenty people in class, and went to public school where suddenly there were like 605 people in my class, which was such a weird transition. But at the same time, you know, we ended up having, we had a fall play and a spring play and a musical and a Christmas, like we had all of these things that I suddenly could do because they were available to me. Right. Well, and probably with that situation of more people too, it, it, it almost, um, you know, it's like, I remember playing basketball in high school. I always wanted to play against the better players. You know, yeah. you didn't want to just go out and win. So you probably with this bigger pool of people going after this, it challenged you even more to expand yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely, you know, it was, it was definitely not a, I would have definitely been a very large fish in a very small pond um, had I stayed in, in Wisconsin. Um, but, and this was, you know, it was a little bit more of an, a semi more of an ego check. Although then you get to, you know, you get to NYU, you get to your freshman year and everybody's the best in their high school. And then you're like, right. Oh, and you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> For sports analogies, it's like going to the NFL combines, you know, where it's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. Of course, if you're listening, don't forget to click the link in the podcast description to buy your copy of Knocking Doors Down, the autobiography by Carlos Vieira. It's about taking his 13 years of cocaine addiction, over 14 years sober, and doing something more purposeful with your life. If you're looking for a story of inspiration, then get yourself a copy of Knocking Doors Down right now by going to either kddmediacompany.com or click the link in the podcast description right now. So when you get into New York, where's the point when you start pursuing it professionally? Are you still doing this during college or? I didn't do it during college. We were, and I look back on it and like, God, what was I thinking? Um, We were honestly in that, the freshman year, like we were encouraged probably because NYU wanted our money in retrospect um, to not encourage it professionally while we were going to school, which seems 
totally absurd now. Yeah. Um, like it was, it's, it's, there's been a lot of change since then. And then basically, you know, once I graduated, you start to try to figure out how to do it professionally, which, you know, is a whole other thing. Cause it's an arts. It's so, it was set up at least NYU at the time I went was set up as a conservatory, meaning it was three days a week. You went like eight hours a day. So like I went to 42nd street and we went to like movement and acting and blah, blah, blah. And the other two days you did, um, you did just like normal arts and sciences classes and whatever. Um, but then when you got out, you're kind of like, uh, what do I do? Like there's been a big shift in, in, in terms of how to make people prepare themselves for the career that, right. because in a lot of ways, I feel like with undergrad, cause it was the undergrad program, like the, the grad programs, they're like, okay, we're going to get you out there and we're going to figure out how to get you work. And in undergrad, what it ends up being a little bit is like, yeah, you came in at 17. I, was, I mean, I was a young 18. I was 17 when I went because I I was a one of those young people in my birthday. Like I turned 18 my first year of college. And it was kind of one of those things where they were like, well, you know, we're going to kind of do it. But you guys are going to decide to do something else. A little, like that's how it felt a little bit. Like because when I look at it now, decades later, I have very few people who are still pursuing this, who are mm -hmm. still at like, I can count on like two hands, those who are still acting, those who are still like involved in it. I've, there's quite a few, which I'm surprised other people I know, mm -hmm. but there are plenty of people that literally they graduated and they're like, and hey, I'm going to law school. Like it was like, it was fun, <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. So, cause it's, it's not for, you know, it's not, it's, it, it it's such a weird, and the weird and strange thing about it is, is unlike other industries that are so linear, like, and how school is taught, like, we go, we do this thing, we get this grade, we go that, like, everything is like, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do like, acting is not like that. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, you can be, it has to do with, it, you have, there's all these things that you have no control over, what you look like, what you sound like, what, you know, what, you know, all of those things, regardless of how talented you are. Mm -hmm. And the one thing you do have control over is getting the best that you can at that certain thing. And then being like, this is what I am and hoping someone wants to buy it. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Or create stuff for yourself, you know? Seems really anxiety ridden. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I watch Entourage. I don't know if you watch Entourage. I'm oh, obsessed with that show. And it's always like, okay, there's going to be this huge movie and they want him. But wait, there's a new director and he wants this guy, but he might want you. So, hey, and it seems like I can't I couldn't live like that where it's yeah. just so like, we'll see what happens. And it's always at the very last second. Then, bam, you booked it or uh, it fell through the cracks. Yeah, that happens. My husband is a writer and, you know, he has had like when you look at how people interact with like the different parts of Hollywood, because it's that thing of like. You know, when you get, you know, I got my first when I got to be on Criminal Minds and I got like my first job. <laughs> Love that big show. Film. I became set. And there is a little when I talk about it, there's a little bit of this. Like once you are allowed to be a co-star on a major show, then suddenly the doors open a little bit to consider you because mm -hmm. someone has trusted you to do that. You know what right, I mean? Right. And it's like these little things that you. So there are these little steps in there. But at the same time, like the more successful you get, the bigger your name gets the harder the blows are mm -hmm. yeah, as you're yeah. talking about. Like you look at that and it's not, you know, there's so many people who I know who have like, or mostly writers, cause my husband's a writer, who've mm -hmm. had these great deals that are supposed to go. And then 
a new executive comes in and blah, 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 and it's over. Like, it's just that, you know, it's, yeah. it take you know, to get something made is so hard. I couldn't even imagine just, it's yeah. so hard. <laughs> and, you know, even now to be a, which is always hard to explain to like my grandmother to say one line on a major television show, it's like the odds are like, there's a, like that, a couple thousand people who submit and then they decide on like maybe 40 of them to look at the first time. And then maybe they call 20 of them back. And then maybe they decide on two. And then they have to take those two and run them up the line of directors, writers, producers, like all the way through, like yeah. finance got like so many people have to sign off on you being like, hello, sir, what kind of coffee would you like? You know, mm -hmm. it's just crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's well, crazy. Well, and do you think the challenges of your acting career and you know, a lot of, it does come with a lot of disappointment rejection because I went to college <laughs> for it. I oddly started working in radio 20 years ago while I was yeah. in college and I stuck with that for 20 years till I started doing this. But do you think that those yeah. adversities and those, uh, you know, continually closing doors, uh, you know, like, hey, I got a good lead and here's a door helped you with your yeah. cancer battle as well as when your mom lost her, her battle with cancer too? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I think, um, I look back, my, my father was not an easy man. He was very tough on me. Mm. Um, not in, in in a way that it was like, well, if you want to do this, then go ahead, but I'm not going to help you. You know, gotcha. we were raised with a very, I was raised with a very, you know, very, very hard work ethic. So working hard was never, working hard was never, was never something that I was like, I don't want to do that. Um, however, I also, was blessed a lot of times in my early life where things came kind of easy to me. So it's that thing of like, I'm a high school. And it was, and so it's a weird duality because you're just like, this should be hard. Like it's going to be so hard. So I think part of that was good for me sure. in the sense that my father, who is an imperfect human being was also somewhat toxic. So having kind of rejection from people who were like blah, blah blah i had already built up a little bit of a um a callous a to wall it. to i guess a callous to or an ability to be like whatever or to not and then move on mm -hmm. not that i didn't feel it really deeply but um but i was able to be like fine then i'll do something else but like i think there was just a stubbornness of being like no i know and would just keep going forward like sure. as opposed to just giving up. And I think part of that is because like there were part ports in time where I just went, you know, I have these things that come very easily to me and I can make, a, a, I could go and make a really good living at doing these other things possibly if I really applied myself in that way. And there were points in time, like it was a probably after college, like, like in the summer after college, like, couple summers after college to be like, this is so hard. Well, what happens? Why, why don't I just not do it for a while? Like mm -hmm. I'm bartending and making incredible money. Why don't I just do that? And the thing is, is I would kind of test myself to be like, can I live without it? And the, my internal, you know, voice said, no, yeah. like it just, so what ended up happening overall is it was the, it's the thing in cancer. It's a thing that, you know, I always say, it's the thing that, you know, as a, as a fitness instructor, I think it's the best, like kind of my best um, thing is I'm a fitness instructor and I love teaching my students and I love doing what I do. 
But when I'm on set saying a single line, I'm kind of like, if the gym burned down, I wouldn't care. And I don't mean it like literally, I don't want sure. to that, but no. it is one, that, one of those things that you realize <laughs> you're like, you're there. And for me being on set, like I feel like my best self. It's just, right. there's something about the camaraderie and the creativity. And for me in particular, I love the community that happens of all these people working towards this goal. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've been really fortunate to be on projects that for the most part, everyone, like there have been very few assholes on the, on the projects I've worked on, like very, very few assholes. And because of that, I've just, you know, it, it just deepens that love for the process of creating yeah. the process of people coming together and creating. Yeah. Oh, and do you think that purpose helped you continue through that, your, your cancer battle that it was like, yeah, I got too much more of this to do. It's not going to take me down. Yeah, I think, well, I think what happened was, is I was like, well, once I got, well, once I got my diagnosis, I did not, I think the biggest thing is I did not think I would die. Mm. Like, I honestly thought I might die with my thyroid surgery, which makes no sense whatsoever. But I walked down that road of like, what if I die? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I think a little bit when it came to acting, because I was, I told my agent and manager, like, hey, this is what's going on. We had a very open relationship. And my agent in particular was like, look, I just need you to let me know how you feel. I'm going to keep submitting you. And until you say no, I'm just going to keep submitting. You. I'm like, great. I'm going to get those bald headshots. Great. We're going to, we're going to try this. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. If I don't feel like I can do it anymore, I'll put a kibosh on it and then we'll come back when I feel better. And what it did was, is in also with my mother dying, like I booked my first film right after she passed away. Like when you have big life stuff, when you have to struggle with things that are, you know, life and death and addiction and people being kids being born all the things that make life worth living that we sometimes forget about mm -hmm. it makes me go like when i was going in on these auditions i was you know doing my thing but a lot of times we put as actors we put so much onus on like oh my god i have to get this job oh my god and i was kind of like yeah, if I don't get it, it's fine. <laughs> like, it was so easy to be like, eh, what? not like whatever the fuck, but it was so much easier to just let it go and be relaxed. Right. Yeah. Which I think is also the reason I ended up booking so much stuff is because I just didn't care as much in the way that would sabotage, in a way that would like make me tight and make me not just want to be there and be present with the people that I'm there with. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's kind of that, that theory of, of receiving once you let go yep. of the, you know, it's that way that you strangulate it or, uh, we, we had a cool analogy that uh, we posted up on our social media, the, the water in the palm of your hand, if you squeeze it, you're going to squeeze almost every drop out. But you know, through turbulent times, you just kind of keep it steady. You might lose a little bit, but you're going to retain a lot more than if you're sitting and squeezing the shit out of it. Exactly. It's, it's, it's that, it's that, it's that grasping to hold on to something that isn't, if it's yours, it's going to start that, you know, I remember the analogy of like in a relationship, holding someone, the difference between trying to hold someone's hand and just like trying to grab someone and keep them in place or hold their hand and have them walk with you or something, you right, know, right, right. in relationships where people are trying to make someone be what they aren't, you know? 
Yeah. Well, and it seems like having the mentality of, you know, if I get it, I get it. If not, then that's fine too. As opposed to, I have to get it. I have to get it. Then not getting it and just feeling so let down. You know what I yeah. mean? That's the that's how I feel with uh, my football team this year. They're not doing well. They yeah. suck. So when they lose, I'm just kind of like, hey, well, what are you going to do? Last year, I had high hopes. Don't talk to me on a Sunday but <laughs> if they lose. But now it's just kind of like I feel the same, but with sports. But yeah, no, that's the perfect way to look at it. And look what you did. You booked more that way. So it's yeah, even I mean, it, happier. Like, I mean, I went in for that. Like, I went in for that Doom Patrol role. Yeah. And, you know, my head was bald or whatever. And the night before, the night before, like, I... The night before I was, I was sleeping and I kept having this thing with chemo. The one, my big side effect with chemo rather than throwing everyone is it got really bad mucus. Like, oh, like, because it dries everything out yeah. and then mm-hmm. it goes in your throat. And there were three times, count three, where I felt like, like I started choking on my own phlegm. Like I it inhaled it and I was like, <gasps> like, and I had to give myself the Heimlich maneuver. One time my husband was asleep. That the second time, the night before that audition, he wasn't there. But part of me is just like, Ugh. like all of those big dramatic things in compa- just pale in comparison to like, oh, I gotta go pretend to be someone who's like, fuck you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Hammerhead is a badass for anybody that's a fan in the DC universe. Oh my god, universe. I love her so much. Uh, so well, I, I gotta ask. I know there's not you can't go into too much of it because uh, you know gotta keep some stuff under wraps. But what was it like stepping into the DC universe? And how much fun did you have of playing a villain? Yeah. Well, I would not say that I'm a villain, but I would say, um, I would hardly say I'm a villain. Um, But I do think, A, it was legit a dream come true. Like in the back of my head, you, in in being an actor, you start to kind of find where you fit in. And I am a five foot 10, pretty strong looking girl with a deep voice. So, I'm not necessarily going to be playing, you know, an ingenue who, you know, is like, it's just statue. It's just, you know, what is believable in me? What am I believable playing? And that's been fine for me, generally speaking, because it gives me, it's allowed me to play some really cool things that other people just can't. Um, When it came to Hammerhead, I remember seeing the breakdown and being like, when they sent it to me and being like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. I can do it. And then it, it also happened to coincide with the fact that I had lost my hair and shaved my head. Like <laughs> it was those two things that I was like, I am super right for this, but also my head is bald. <laughs> like I, I remember just being in that room being like, try and beat it, bitches. I mean, I mean, not really. <laughs> also being like, I have cancer so great, you know, but I, but it was also one of those things that I'm like, yeah, like I don't, this, I'm coming in guns blazing a little bit, but this, it's this little thing that I didn't do purposefully. It just happened. That is actually, that is the thing that's helping to cement all the stuff that's already there. Yeah. Um, and as far as, you know, and as far as, as far as being a, a, a villain, um, I think that, I think, I think she's, I think uh, Hammerhead's a little misunderstood. Um, the thing that I sure. love about her in general, or that, aspect to Jane's personality is I so identify with in my own upbringing, as I mentioned, my dad was, um, could be really tough. Um, but I understand when someone's scared, how they utilize anger because they don't, how, how fear 
how fear propagates anger. I, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times as people in general, especially in COVID and just, you know, having to having to sit and be with themselves a lot and the frustration and the anger and how often we try to dissipate what we're feeling by just like trying to keep busy. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Um, and when it comes to Hammerhead, I think it, I think my success in doing it, I think I've, I've not success, but I think I've served her very well in understanding to me, it's okay. She's really loud as like, fuck you, but what does that mean? Where is that coming from? And I think where that comes from is from a deep, deep love and a protective nature over someone she cares about, which is Jane, which was the girl. If, you know, if, if like she, that is her role in that, in that world, because without that, there, if there wasn't a need for it, it she wouldn't be there, yeah. you know? And, and especially in season two, they really allowed as Jane was going through a lot of transformation, there was really an opportunity. The writers really gave me an opportunity in And it's weird because like, you know, if you've, if for those who haven't seen the show, if you've ever seen inside out, it's like that thing of like each of your basically feelings or main aspects of yourself have their own personality. And so she's kind of anger as it were, or I think could easily just be misinterpreted as only anger. And, and I think that's a mistake just because it, even with ourselves that anger comes from somewhere and it's knowing where it comes from mm. and how it represents. And I think, and for, for, you know, Hammerhead, it's, it's just the protective mama bear. It's the, that is the, you know, it's the mountain lion that went after that guy because they forgot <laughs> to show the first part of him going up to see what was going on. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you're by her cubs. Get the hell out of there. Yeah, right. Uh, no, it, it, it's always, a, to me, still such a fascinating thing when someone shares that that process and how they approach something. Um, and it, and it, interesting how, you know, you talk about not only with cancer, but your childhood of, you know, it's kind of like what knocking doors down is about is that, that your adversities and how they can become your advantage. And it's interesting how you've taken what you've gone through and thrown it into your art. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you have, I mean, I think you have to, I think it's, I mean, I think that is one of the beautiful things about being an actor um, is in trying to understand people that, you know, you start to understand yourself. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, my, my parents, you know, my parents had a very, right as I graduated and went to college, my parents had a very, very contentious divorce mm -hmm. and it took me many years to understand the strength and the failings on both their sides because i think in relationships there's you know there's one side the other side and the truth mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and you know and if you take one side only and in my case i you know in my case like my mom wanted to get a divorce i have two younger brothers they stayed with my father and I went with my mom and felt the coldness of that. You know, my dad was very much someone who wants loyalty and uh, to a degree. Mm -hmm. um, but also I came to understand that he was also someone like I look back and I was like, wow, you guys got married in your early 20s before you knew who you were. And you did the best you can. But then you look at their parents, 
their parents' examples of what marriage was. And the two of them, like you couldn't have night or, like bigger night and day. Like my mom's family was very traditional. My grandfather was very like, oh, I will do this. And my grandmother would be like, yes, yes. And then do something else on the down low. Like <laughs> never, they never challenged, they never fought, they never challenged each other. Where my, you know, my dad's side of the fam, my mom, my, my grandmother on my dad's side of the family, she was like, she, you don't, you did not part of my language. You didn't belong with her. Like yeah. she started a, you know, she started a, she started a telephone operator. Like she would get in your face. She would just get in your face. And she and my, my grandfather, had in, in its own right, looking back, a very kind of modern relationship in the sense they both worked, they argued, they had, so you take these two people from these seemingly same backgrounds and then put them together and how they relate is so very different yeah. um, that it just, you know, it really, stepping back as I get away from it, you, I start to see it even more. And also, you know, you watch your mom die and you watch your father who, they, it was contentious for a while and then it was okay. But it was also a case of, you know, a man who realized that, you know, he had married, he had had a relationship with a woman for 18 years and it, yeah. and he's like 75% of it wasn't bad. Like, mm -hmm. and it's, I think it's that real realization of always that we forget that people are doing the best they can, Yeah, you know, and that's, and so Acting for me has saved me a lot of money in therapy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it's like as uh, Mikey and I've talked about the with us being able to speak with people, you know. Cause yeah, right. I, I went through it with my mom, two kinds of cancer, thyroid, uh, uh, um, yeah. as was one of them. And, you know, I remember the, the scar and the tape and everything else. I've never had a conversation with anyone else that's ever been through it, what it was like, let alone any other, you know, children of parents that went through, you know, any kind of cancer, let alone thyroid. So for us, this kind of ends up being our therapy sometimes, so yeah. for sure. So I can understand. Yeah. Uh, before yeah. we get into some um, some rapid fire questions, because we're such a fan of the show, we got to ask about your experience on the set of Shameless. Oh my god, I got so freaking lucky. Was that. it real um, alcohol that they drink there in the bar? No. Really? No, that just well, shatters no. my universe. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Why? Because I just think like, what's his name? Uh, William H. Macy. William H. Macy. He plays such a good piece of shit, but you still have empathy for him at times. I know. Well, that's the brilliance of the writing and his performance. Well, it's yeah. the writing, of course, but it's you got to play it, you know, yeah. and he plays it so well. Like in the beginning when he headbutts uh, Ian for hanging out with, you know, so-and-so's daughter or whatever, it's just like, wow, yeah. what a horrible person. But as the show progresses, it's like, wow, he's kind of a sweet guy and I kind of want to give him a hug. Despite spending all of their money on drugs and alcohol, he still is just so... There's I, still heart there. Yeah. Like, he does the delicate, delicate balance of playing someone so unlikable, technically. Right, right. But also, there's it's that thing of he manages to capture that charisma of someone that's such a piece of shit, mm -hmm. but you can't help but love them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When I first yeah, saw the show, I was like, this is really sad. This is really dark, like the first couple ones. But as yeah. it's gone on, it's just like, he, there goes Frank Gallagher. What a rascal. You know, just, I just, know, right? Well, and it's right. a brilliant show in that it sheds light not only on the on addiction, the fiending for it, broken families, um, 
kids, um, pretty much homosexual kids. relationships. Yeah. I mean, yeah. all, all, all kind. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, early adulthood, single parent, single mom, all of it. Um, but yeah, you had such a fun scene in the bar with the push-ups and you know the challenge. What, what was that like for you? So it, it, there's a couple. I'm gonna give you a little little background. Like, yeah. I remember seeing that breakdown and being like, I have to go in on it. And it was a really, it was a big coincidence because my, I, for, I mentioned my husband was a writer, and mm-hmm. the guy who was directing this episode was actually a friend of his. I'll be darned. And so, and it was like. They'd aged on paper. The, the age of the role was like fifteen years older than I. Like I knew what they were like. They were like Darlene and you know, big and tough and you know, big tough blue collar. You know, uh, truck driver. Blah blah blah. And I had been hired by that casting office before as a cop and whatever. But I remember having them write a letter, and then we sent a letter to the to the to the director who was like. Um, but he said he was like, yeah, except for I've seen your wife. And like I was all like glammed out and I was just like, <laughs> she's all supposed to be all broken down. And so I went in and I was all like, you know, I was all broken. And I was like big things. And like it was so great when you're a lady because a lot of times you're like, we need a lot of makeup. And it was just like I taught an aerobics class. I didn't, you know, I showered my body but left my hair. Like I just kind of just let it go. And like kind of made it look like I didn't do makeup. Like I was just like, whatever. And my big thing was I, the thing that I realized is it was going to be a push-up contest. And I'm like, I have to do push-ups. Mm-hmm. Like, and the thing about it is, is as I've learned being a fitness instructor, women don't have a lot of women don't have a lot of good upper body strength. And if we were going to be shooting, we we're going to have to do a lot of push-ups. Mm-hmm. And so um, we went, I remember going into, to the, uh, audition and like there are other ladies there and a lot of sometimes you'll sit in the room and you're like oh she's good she'd be good but one girl came out and was like they make you do the push-ups and i was like fuck yes <laughs> <laughs> and i came in and i was like and i was like hi hi oh hi and i got done i was like blah, blah, blah. all right let's go and i started doing them and i remember getting to a point in john levy who was the cast director was like how many push-ups can you do and i was like how many he was like oh my something like how many push-ups can you do and i'm like how many you want? And they're like, okay. Um, Enough said. So I, yeah. So I booked it. I booked it, and it it ended up being the season finale of, or at least the last shoot day in, because they do stuff on location in Chicago. Sure. So it was the last shoot day in LA. It was it was Halloween, mm-hmm. um, and it was the first part of the day. And I remember going in and meeting Bill, who was always like, "Hey, how?" Like they were so generous and so nice, and that's the big thing about it. when you're somebody who's just coming in for the day is sometimes a, a, a production is running and they're like, blah, blah, blah. and that production in particular was so just welcoming and welcome to our family. Welcome to the bar. Blah, blah. And it was just so lovely to be there. Cause I felt as if I was part of the cast, yeah. which I was for a day, but not in that same way that, you know, all those bar regulars who've been there. Um, you know, we cheated some of the push-ups, like as the, you know, cause Bill, Bill was like, um, he was like, I'm Mark, uh, I mean, is there a way, I mean, we're going to have to do all these, he's like, you don't need to do all these push-ups to you. And, and part of me is like, I'll, just, I'll do them all. I don't know. I'll do them all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, we fake some of them, but I think, I think we must've done like 250 or yeah, 300 push-ups that day. I mean, they were all in like sets of 15, but you know, you get to the, 
you get to the 30th take or you know you get to get a 30th 30th take sure. which is like maybe a different setup and you're like oh my god my like the next day i'm like so you got to act and you worked out so two birds one stone scenario <laughs> and then i got to because it was the last day they had this big like wrap brunch so i got to go to this like fat you know fat lunch where it was like sushi and, and i was like this is amazing <laughs> oh that's awesome that's I so love cool well before i want to i want to talk to you here in a minute about um breaking down the stigma of uh cancer communicating about it of course because um you had a lineage of it uh, within your family but uh we're gonna get to some fun rapid fire stuff before we sure. do our wrap up all right mikey you're up first all right if you can have dinner with anybody Dead or alive, who would it be and why? Oh, the first thing that came to my head is Elvis. We got that. I, yeah. yeah, mama. Elvis yeah, would be I'm great. like Elvis, and I think it's just because I am a deeply, deeply devoted Elvis fan. And so I, I just, I don't know. That's the first thing that came to my mind. Nice. I have to do it this. Have to be, it would have to be in Vegas while he was launching those sh- like when he was doing his whole Vegas thing. Sure. Before he was technically fat Elvis. No fat Elvis. Like <laughs> hot like 69 special up. <laughs> uh yeah, the gold coat black pants Elvis. It's like yeah, that era. Yeah. Stephanie, yeah. do you know what El- uh, Elvis's ghost said? Oh boy. What? Boo. <laughs> I just had to do that for somebody. Okay. CG liked it. Screw Let, you, Mikey. All right. Let's move on quick. <laughs> <laughs> I started doing that joke when I was like six years old. What can I say? I'm still a shithead. Um, uh, outside of you know acting and fitness, what are some of your other hobbies, favorite hobbies that you have? I'm like, do I have hobbies? <laughs> um, I have I have this bizarre, we, I like to go to Goodwill and buy stuff on Goodwill and sell it on eBay. Oh, nice. Like, I have, I'm a, like I'm a resale shopper, like as of late, when I was going through cancer the year before my father had passed away and I inherited some money. So we bought a property in Palm Springs. Um, Cause I was like, if I die, I want to die in Palm Springs, with <laughs> aging drag queens and Canadians. <laughs> and I, and I, and I basically bought everything off of like Craigslist and Facebook marketplace. So now I have like an addiction. My addiction to Facebook isn't about interacting with people. It's seeing what, people are selling <laughs> i never thought of that buy at goodwill and sell on ebay yeah oh, this is yeah like it's a, it's a way like it's kind of you know it's kind of a th- like that's kind of like go to goodwills like going shopping at goodwill seeing if you can find things seeing if you can flip up like i get a small for a lot of that yeah wow, that's awesome that's a lot of fun what are some of your pet peeves um number one is just people who are not true to their word hmm it's true to people who aren't true to their word. Um, off the top of my head, that's it. People who are late all the time. Oh, yeah. 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 There's a, there's that phenomenon. It's like, or people who don't remember that they made plans with you. Oh, like, I mean, you know, oh, screw that. Yeah. yeah. Dead to me. <laughs> or just like, Oh yeah, well I was going to do that. Okay. No mm. integrity people that, and that, and because I live in Los Angeles is, those who have conversations with you looking to the next per that happens a lot in the film industry is looking to see kind of past you to see how they can you can help them yeah and then moving on yeah. Yeah. oh oh god and then also this is my right now it's my multi-level marketing people <laughs> can't take it can't take it people who people who who 
try to make to try to like, to give me an opportunity of a lifetime. I, I, I <laughs> sell, selling things to people who don't need them. Uh, yeah, we didn't learn with that Amway shit years ago, right? You know, oh well, no. I mean, there's an amazing uh, there's an amazing podcast about that called like I can't remember. It has like a German thing in it, but I just the dream. I think it's called the dream or something. And I mm-hmm. just I I get the impetus to want, but I I just have such a hard time with asking your friends to buy things that they don't need All on right. a premise that yeah anyway. I could go very dark with that, so I won't. (laughs) (laughs) No, I get it. Hey, buy this shit because you care about me. I don't need that shit. Yeah, but I want to succeed, so help me out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get that either. Uh, Who's been your biggest inspiration or mentor in life? Hmm. Biggest inspiration and mentor. Or mentor. Yeah. Maybe a couple of them. Yeah. um, I was looked up to Carrie Fisher. Um, mm. Honestly, on my radar for a long time has been Allison Janney. Oh, not mm. because I know her, um, because I was doing a play. I remember doing a play years ago outside of in New York, out, or outside of New York in New Jersey, and a, the lead in that play was talking about her friend Allison Janney, who was, and this was pre uh, West Wing. This was pre all of it, um, and she was talking about how. You know, there was, she was an amazing actress and, and it was, and, but she just, she kind of had a strange, not look, but she was like tall girls. Like I always gravitate towards tall girls. And so I look at Allison Janney as someone who's like kind of hit her stride later and just, yeah. you know, that, and uh, there's an actress named Cherry Jones, who is just my idol. Like she's just, has always been who she is and is, and is also very vocal about things she cares about. And so I think people who, for me, when it comes to actresses or actors, it's always about people who, as we've talked about earlier with Harrison Ford, um, remain authentic and not authentic in a way that's like, I want people to like me, but just understand how this all work, how all of these things come into play and what things are real and what things aren't. Yeah, Mm, I dig it. Okay. If there were to be a movie made about you... Who would you want to cast as yourself? Easy, Michelle Monaghan. Michelle Monaghan. Oh, nice. Okay. And what, Easy. Ge- and what genre would it be? Oh, dark comedy. <laughs> dark comedy. <laughs> Definitely dark comedy. I love it. Okay, here's an ironic one, being that you have played a superhero. Uh, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Oh, it goes back and forth. But right now, I want to be able to bend time. Like yeah. I like the idea of in recent years, That's I like a new one. Yeah. The the idea of bending time. Mm. And why is that? Um, if, I like the idea of being able to go. I mean, even though we could change, you know, if, if all those things are true about how everything changes, I like to be able to go back and have like in these last months, I've you know, I would like to have time with people who I've lost. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've lost a lot of people in the last, you know five years so yeah yeah no it's always wor- worrying about that paradox right i go back I, exactly i i, I, I or, or like take, and... or being able to go and take it get into a time that like was it and trying to extend it a little bit or yeah, yeah. no i i'm a father of two and it's like you know they're heading to teenage years and it's like oh no i want to go back when i can just sit and hold oh my you. god it goes so fast it oh, goes so shit. i have niece and nephew are like two and two and a half and four and i'm still like what yeah. like, they're even you know we were my brothers and i were sitting 
it was my birthday last week and we were in Palm Springs and all of us were together and I was sitting with my brother who's two years younger than me and my young my youngest brother's nine years younger and I was like I remember when my mom was still alive my brother was my youngest brother was just born sitting at a pool in Wisconsin and her talking about what would happen with like just like reliving that moment for a minute decades later it's crazy yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, losing a lot of folks, one of the, you know, things we really want to get out, and it's been a really fun uh, conversation with you. But uh, a lot of the work that you did with your blog was really trying to end the stigma, not only of um, some of the misconceptions of cancer treatment, but also you have a family lineage, especially on your mom's side, where the folks just didn't talk about it. Maybe if there was conversations within the family community, that maybe there could have been earlier treatment and and prolonged lives. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's the, it is the state, it is, I mean, I don't think that my family is unique to that. I also, you know, cancer is a scary, scary work. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter how, you know, baby cancer, big cancer it is. Um, and you find that people need to take their time and deal with it. And I understand that. But, you know, my biggest thing, at least at the time of it, and my husband and I like wrote that blog and we actually just like dropped a podcast because I was like, I know people don't like to read, but it, <laughs> you know, but also just to have a reflection on it now that we're outside of it a little bit, because in the middle of it, you don't realize what you're necessarily going through and there's other things that you wish you knew. And the thing about it is, is I feel as if, you know, we don't like to talk about it because there's this need to there's this need always to be so positive about everything. There's like a level of almost, I think, toxic positivity. Like my mother, again, my mother had this very rare blood disease and she was incredibly, incredibly positive all the way through. And then it came back. And I remember the burden. I could, you could hear the burden in her voice of, well, it's back. And, and I was like, well, yeah, because it's not a disease that goes away. Like, a a level of unwillingness to know about it because if you don't know it couldn't be as bad but i i come from an idea that like to not know or to not have the full details it makes it so much worse like i'm somebody who i'm like go to your doctor listen to your doctor because if you ignore it it's not going away it's only going to get worse and also your brain can work such crazy stuff on you to make everything you know go wrong it's you know we have such hard time and we're getting better i think about talking about our what we've always perceived as our weaknesses yeah which is not in case not in fact the case it's our vulnerabilities that make us unique and our willingness to in that moment to be vulnerable that i think is our greatest strength mm-hmm. yeah you know and I, and it's, it's such an interesting thing to me because, you know, there's an idea that being strong and not having anything affect you is, is, is what strength is. And I, you know, I mentioned earlier, my mother, uh, who just loved unconditionally in a way that was remarkable when, uh, you know, my parents got a divorce and my brothers were young and felt that that much like my father had reported 
that she had abandoned them, even though she didn't leave. I, there was a lot of anger on their part. And I remember her going back as a mother every day to like pick them up, drive them to school. And sometimes they wouldn't come or, and I remember as an almost adult, cause I was 17 being like, why do you do that? Why do you not just write them off? And she was like, I mean, she'd be crying. And she was like, cause it's important. They know I love them. Yeah. Wow. And that kind of strength in anything that makes us feel weak or anything we are vulnerable to, I think, and the openness that comes with that says so much about our character, but also allows our lives to be bigger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go get a tissue. I'll be right back. It's these, <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, Whoa. It's these damn allergies in here, you know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. are kicking. Um, Stephanie, thank you so much. Uh, if folks want to find out more about you, uh, be it your website, any social media, other stuff, how, how can they go about that? Um, I'm on Instagram at uh, Ski Says, um, and then um, my website is linked in my Instagram. And then I also, with all the cancer stuff, are is all at chemoskinny.com. The podcast, the blog, the you know, the if you want to ask questions or if you if you want to know what it's like when people offer you fake nipples. I'll tell you <laughs> things you you never thought you would have happen (laughs) top five things you never thought you'd have happen fake nipples being offered (laughs) fake nipples online (laughs) near the top Uh, we'll make sure to put all those links in the description too in the podcast for those that listening Uh, oh my goodness Uh, Stephanie Chakowsky thank you so much you guys thank you so much for having me it was really a pleasure Knocking doors down. Real people, real stories, real life. Real discussions of life struggles including addiction, relationships, finances, and more. But even more importantly, living with them, overcoming them, and conquering them. Celebrities, experts, and everyday people talk about how they were able to break through whatever life handed them by knocking doors down. New podcast episodes are available every Thursday. Subscribe now on the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio app, or at kddmediacompany.com. Stephanie Chukowski, what an awesome lady. You know what I really got to tip my hat to her is when she had three, what diagnosed three different times yeah. with three different cancers. How is that not just weighing so heavy on your mind to where you don't even want to get up out of bed? You know what I mean? But she did. And like she said in the interview, you know, she was getting her most, she was booking the most when she yeah. found out that she was diagnosed with all these things. So it definitely, I mean, if there's anything to take your mind off of it, it would be that, but you, you gotta, you gotta give it up for her. That's incredible. Very yeah. strong woman. That's for sure. Yeah. It's like, she just kept going for her passion. Mm-hmm. You know, that was yeah. the thing that kept her motivated. And Which going. is what we're all about. This, Never give up. Keep fucking going. That's true. Absolutely is. And if you want an example of that, make sure that you uh, click the link in the podcast description for the knock and door down autobiography by Carlos Vieira. Not only does it deal with how he overcame his uh, 13-year addiction to cocaine, but also how he started 5150 LTM, the uh, lifestyle clothing brand that uh, that's really the moniker is uh, taking those adverse situations and making them your advantage. Living the madness, as they say. That's right. And uh, you know, a lot of great specials going on there right now as we head into the holiday season. And we couldn't do this podcast without 5150, so we are definitely 
feel grateful to be aligned with that great brand and what it represents and support the gear. And don't forget to follow us on social media. Got all those links uh, for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all in the podcast description as well. And uh, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast. Tell a friend. Spread the word. That's how we continue to grow, and we can't thank you guys enough for that. Mikey, anything else? No, I'm going home. (laughs) Well, I guess I am too. On that note, folks, hey, stay positive and keep knocking doors down. The Knockin' Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. This podcast contains the views and opinions of the knocking doors down hosts and their guests to the show. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is sharing their unique perspective, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast and website are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of errors. Privacy is of the utmost importance to us. For those wishing anonymity, people, places, and scenarios mentioned in the podcast have been changed to protect confidentiality at the request of certain guests. This website or podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever, including but not limited to establishing standard of care in a legal sense or as a basis for expert witness testimony. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements or opinions made on the podcast or website. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with their content establish a doctor-patient relationship. If you find any errors in any of the content of this podcast or blogs, please send a message through the contact page. This podcast is owned by KDD Media Company.